3. And I won't read the whole chapter all at once for you. So as you're turning there, uh, the title of the message will be, some, or will be um, to uh, watch, watch your mouth. And that's something that I was a youth not too long ago. It's something I heard an awful lot. I'm sure many of you did as you're growing up learning what is appropriate to say in which environment and which not. And if you did have that problem growing up, or maybe you still have a little bit of that, don't be discouraged. We see that that problem existed even in the early church, because um, we see that James here, who was the pastor of a church, the church in Jerusalem, he has to, uh, the Holy Spirit inspires him to write an entire chapter on the tongue and how we use our words. And it is something that we can still apply today. We see how the big uh, corporations, the major ones, well, before I get too much into our introduction, I probably better pray, so I'll do that. Dear Father, Lord, thank you that we're able to gather here today to study your word. Lord, please don't let these words be mine. Lord, just use me as a conduit, and Lord, help me to, um, help me to preach the truth of your word, Lord, in a clear and concise way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We came back into it, even uh, as far as watching your words. Big, even the big corporations, they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on PR managers, people who uh, direct the message of a firm and of a company. And you see even sports teams, the well-disciplined, uh, well-organized sports teams are known by how they control messaging. Like the example that is always given is uh, the teams like the Packers and the Patriots, uh, Steelers, other organizations that are very tight-lipped. You don't see a lot of headlines about those organizations with things outside of what directly relates to what goes on the field, like whether they're winning or losing or trades that are being made. You don't see a lot of inner locker room squabble going out to the media. These teams, they understand the importance of controlling the messaging and watching what you say and how you say it. And we see in verse 2 there, or actually I'll start in verse 1, says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. That right there is talking about the gospel. The gospel is a message that will prick people. It will offend people. People don't like to hear that they're sinners. They like to believe that they're good people. And it is very noble of them to strive to live righteous lives and do right and try to be good workers. Many of them don't want to hear that that's not good enough for you to go to heaven that you have to depend on Christ, the man who died on the cross 2,000 years ago. So that is naturally going to offend some people. What we see the warning comes in, it says, If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able to bridle the whole body. We see there that when we present the gospel, if the gospel and the words of the gospel offend people, there's nothing we can do about that. That's the Holy Spirit. That's conviction. And, that, and it should. The gospel should offend people to be told that, yes, you're a sinner, you deserve hell, you are going, you are destined for hell, and that's why we need to present it. And we need to, when we present the gospel, we need to present it unapologetically in love. This is something that, when I'm witnessing, sometimes as you witness more and more, you kind of can pick up on when people are starting to get turned off, and you kind sometimes you have to stop and say, listen, I'm not telling you this because I think I'm a better person than you. And I don't want anything that I preach to seem like me coming across as self-righteous or pious. I want you to know that you and I are in the same boat. We're both sinners that deserve hell. We're both sinners that have offended our Creator, and we are worthy of absolutely nothing. 
I'm in the same boat as you when I present you the gospel. And think about, think about it this way, and this is oftentimes what I have to tell people, is like, my, by me telling you this, and by me, whatever big word, sometimes they, well, why are you preaching to me? Why are you proselytizing? It's like, listen, my proselytizing ought to show you my sincerity and my conviction. Because if I truly believe there is a hell, and I truly believe there is a heaven, I truly believe we're going there, if we do not accept Christ, how much do I have to hate a person in order to not warn them? Think about it if you saw your neighbor speeding towards, speeding down a dark road where the bridge was out, flooding. We saw the massive flooding that happened in the Carolinas this past week. And, new, and a couple of truckers collapsed bridges. How much, and other truckers got out and they warned the traffic to stop. How much would though, how much contempt would those uh, motorists have had to have for their fellow citizens to say, you know what, I'm safe, it's enough for me, I don't have to do anything else, they're on their own. So when we present the gospel, we do it apologetically. We see here that it will offend some people, but we shouldn't be the ones that are offending. It should be the gospel. We see point number two, how powerful the tongue is. And it is compared to many small items, because relatively, the tongue in your body is a very weak muscle. It's not able to do very much. You have to think about some of the foods you eat. Your tongue cannot crush a carrot. Your tongue cannot break apart most of your hard foods. It is a very weak muscle. However, it is a very powerful tool. It is compared, we see it, compared to a bit that is put in a horse's mouth. Think about that bit. Uh, remember, um, this isn't exactly a bit, but I remember when I got engaged, Bob was very kind to find an old, big old brass bulls ring in his garage and say, hey, you might as well just put this through your nose right now, young man, because she's going to be leading you around by it. So that was very nice of Bob, and I remember that gesture. I gladly returned the rings. I said he still needed it. So, but this is Austin didn't quite have him trained. But the bet is something very small, and that horse is an animal that sometimes weighs close over half a ton or close to a ton, and it is controlled by that little tiny piece of metal, much like our tongue wields such great influence over our bodies and over the feelings and of others and over our message. We see it compared in verse 4, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. The very small rudder. Think of that tiny little rudder. Most of us around here go fishing. We see in the boats, and some of the boats don't exactly have rudders on them. You turn the you turn the thing, and those little hydraulics, they turn the engine. But even think about how small those hydraulics are that turn the engine compared to the whole boat. Or the little rudder, if you had the old rowboats where you had one person rowing and the other person, I, my brother and I, we didn't have the money for the big boat, so we had to beg, <laughs> borrow what we could from the neighbors, and little small boats that you either had to control by the oars, didn't even have a rudder, or something like that. Your tongue is like that rudder which is very small, but it turns about a huge, massive ship. Think about the massive ships, the nuclear-powered um, the nuclear powered aircraft carriers that our government has, and how they are turned with just a small, tiny little rudder. And that is how our tongue is. The tongue is a little member and boasteth great things, and how great a matter a little fire kindleth. It's also compared to fire. And we see how fire is a good thing is a good thing if it is controlled. 
It is able to power our uh, vehicles. A small, tiny little spark comes out of a spark plug and ignites a small amount of gas in those cylinders, and that sends a multi-ton vehicle down the road. That is what that is how powerful fire is. So we see t- the tongue is a very powerful thing. And we see that often in this verse, in this chapter here, it is often compared to things that can cause great damage. But your tongue can also be used to cause great good. We see in Proverbs 16, verse 24, where it says, Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bones. You see even further down, it says that in Proverbs 10, verse 20, it says, The tongue of the just is as choice silver. And, verse, and uh, chapter 25, also in Proverbs, in verse 11, it says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. Words have great influence. It is the vehicle by which God has chosen us to spread the gospel. We see in Romans where it talks about um, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We're told in the Great Commission in Matthew to go into all the nation uh, preaching the gospel. And that is with our words. We're not, um, God chose words in his book to communicate with us. Jesus Christ, he is the, he is the words. You see that in John chapter 1. I won't try to quote that verse. I should have wrote that one down. But we see that Jesus, he is the word. And in this Bible, this is where he communicates to us. So we see how we need to control our tongue. And we see the damage it can cause and the good it can cause. And it said, we see that it is something you can't try to just focus on your tongue and focus on your words to control it. That might sound very hard for you to understand. Like, okay, how are you talking about? You can't control your tongue. You can just keep your mouth shut. Well, that's oftentimes what, as a Marine, particularly in the younger ranks, you hear that an awful lot. You just keep your mouth shut. And however... We'll see why that doesn't always work. Because we see in verse 7 here, For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and has, hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless God, even the Father, and therewith we curse. When therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. We, he's speaking here against people who practice doublespeak or who talk out both sides of their mouth. They'll, um, I, I call them, I call some of the folks that do this almost comedi- chameleon personalities. If they're around someone that is good, okay, their speech all of a sudden magically clears up. They're around their other elements that they shouldn't be around, other friends who uh, cuss, swear, use vulgar language, talk about um, sensual things, and their conversation immediately uh, goes to the uh, unsavory. So we see that that is um, warned against here and how it is hypocritical. We have to look for and back in Proverbs to find out how we control what comes out of our mouth. And we see that in one verse there in Proverbs chapter 4. Turn there, if you will. The Proverbs chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verse uh, 23. 
And we see in Proverbs 4, chapter uh, 23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We see that what comes out of our mouth is directly related to what is in our heart. And we see that if we want to control what comes out of our mouth, we need to focus on our heart. And we know that we cannot change our heart. We cannot change the things. That is something that God has to do. And that is something that only the Holy Spirit can do. So we'll see further down in the, chap- in the chapter here, we see it from Proverbs. He says you have to guard your heart. You have to control what you place in front of you. You have to set boundaries. Set boundaries for your time. Set boundaries for how long you spend in any certain place, any time you spend, time you spend idly. If you're idle, that's uh, for the saying, um, idleness is the devil's oil workshop. That is where things tend to go wrong. You need to place boundaries around uh, the company that you keep. You need to place boundaries on where, where you go uh, and who you keep in your company. Um, it says in Proverbs, verse just came to mind, um, as iron sharpeneth iron, so man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. So who you are around affects directly who you are. When you sharpen, when, when a knife is uh, sharpened, you take that sharpening stone to it, that's like beating the company of someone. That is, anytime there is interaction, just picture it kind of like that friction of a grinding stone against a knife. It is constantly shaping you. And if the company you keep is godly company, most likely your countenance will be sharpened. It'll be sharpened in a good way. But also, if you don't use that grinding stone properly, you can dull a knife real quick. If you start striking it the wrong way, like that'll be like hanging around the wrong company and your conversation proceeding towards the unsavory things. By like taking that grindstone and riding that knife just straight against it, that'll dull it very quickly. So that's talking about what you need to guard your heart against. And... We see, as we look further on down, it says, Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with wisdom among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. If ye have bitter envies and strife in your hearts, glory not. Lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envians and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. You see that that type of double speak, talking, praising God out of one side of your mouth and then cursing, vulgar language, whatnot, out of the other side, that points to a heart problem. Because it talks here about. It points to a heart that is bitter. It points to a heart that is envying and that is full of strife, which is why we need to also be very careful and guard our hearts. We had our uh, memory verse a couple weeks ago was out of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. And it says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Says the te- and we also see the dangers of these teachings that come from someone who has a bitter heart. 
or who has envy in their heart, or who has strife and conflict. And we see that um, what, these, what this wisdom comes from. We say in verse 15, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly. It is sensual. These teachings may sound good. They may sound like the wisdom of the world when they come from someone who is, has bitter and envying in their heart. And it has to do with, <clears throat> excuse me, and the advice they give, though it may sound good, and oftentimes we will hear things that sound good but run counter, counter to the Bible, these things are not from God. They're devilish. And then we look down in verse 17 and 18, and where we find out some of the characteristics of wisdom that is from above. You see in verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. We see that there's an order of how it is, of how correct teaching is. And this is a way to discern someone who is teaching you, because we see here that in, uh, further on, we saw him, let me, where did I mark that verse? Oh, okay, well, it says there that in verse 13, that's where it was, says, Who is a wise man endowed with knowledge among you? So he's trying, you're, at that point, you're trying to look and find out where the good teaching comes from and how to discern it. And how, when you watch your tongue, what, what you're saying, and watching what you yourself are saying, what it should look like if it is from above. You say it is first pure. There it says that first of all and foremost, so vulgar talk, vul- inappropriate things should not be counted as godly wisdom. Many times people try to pass things off as, okay, it's in the Bible, but they, the way that it is presented in a vulgar manner is counter to Scripture. So it says first, the wisdom has to be pure. Then it has to be peaceable. And after that, it has to be gentle and easy to be entreated, something that is fairly easy to be complied with. You can be, the teacher can be compliant and full of mercy. So we see kind of coming full circle back to what I said about, or what, uh, I shouldn't say what I said, come back to my first point there, which was how we present the gospel and how the gospel will offend people, how it has to come, this comes full circle back to when we present the gospel, it needs to be, Pure, needs to be peaceable, needs to be gentle, easy to be entreated, and we have to present the gospel full of mercy when we do it. And, and full of mercy and good, <coughs> good fruits. And we can't be partial about who we present the gospel to or partial with who we um, speak with it about. And that's also um, talking about the wisdom there and without hypocrisy. We can't be hypocrites when we preach the gospel. And that's where we need to watch our tongue, because, because none of us are perfect. None of us will be perfect until we get to heaven. And this is where guarding your heart, a lot of that has to deal with the walk with God and how you maintain that walk with God and the time and energy that you put into it. It is, sorry if I seem like I'm rambling a little bit, but it seems like... <coughs> That all of these things that come out of the heart it seems like they come from a place of someone who is ignoring God's word. That's where envies and bitterness and strife come in, because you're constantly warned against that throughout the Bible. In Proverbs, um, you see another verse in Proverbs where a man who cannot control his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. 
So, to guard your heart and to watch your tongue, you can't, like I said in summary, you can't just watch your mouth and expect to be able to control your words. Your words come from your heart. And that's where everything you say will come from. And you have to worry about keeping that pure so that you can present the gospel in a way that it should be presented. In a way that is pure, is peaceful, is gentle, is easy to be entreated, and is full of mercy and good fruits, in an impartial manner, and genuine, without hypocrisy. And then we see the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So we see that the gospel there and how we present it is not to be is not to be meant as something that we used to beat people over the head with. It should not be the gospel message should not be used as something that we try to cause fights about or try to offend people with. The, the gospel message will offend people just by its virtue, but we shouldn't make it offensive. We, uh, it is already that in itself. We need to present it in a pure, peaceable, gentle manner. And you see that it is, shown, it is sown in peace to them that make peace. And that is the final point that I have there. And I would just like to challenge I believe we're all Christians here, and I believe we're all believers. So I challenge you to look at that chapter, to study it again. And when you do take notes, the purpose of taking notes is so you can go back and study the message again so that God can use it to speak to your heart. There might be some points and some things in your life. I don't know everybody's life in here. I might have uh, overlooked some things that apply to someone's life in this room. I'll teach the Bible the best I can as how it applies to me and what God convicts my heart with, but let the Bible also convict you. And in closing, I don't think I have to present the salvation message, but I'd like to, those of you, if you would, I'm hoping that the message showed you the urgency and the importance of how we present the gospel and how to do it and why we ought to do it in the proper way and why we ought to study how to do it. And um, if you'll turn in your hymnals at this time, we'll have a song of invitation.